The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, that's arm shares popping 25% in its uh, debut session, giving the chip designer a market cap of $68 billion. The CEOs of Arm and SoftBank telling CNBC exclusively the group is here to stay. And this is the beginning of big AI time, and uh, Arm is going to have a big role in that. He and I are very aligned on the, on the long-term vision of the company. I believe we are one of the most foundational companies uh, the world runs on ARM. Well, ARM's blockbuster IPO boosting sentiment on Wall Street as the Dow rallies over 300 points to post its best day since early August. Beijing steps up with more stimulus, cutting the triple R for the second time this year as key economic data from the world's second largest economy comes in better than expected. And the ECB hikes rates to a record high, but suggests policy may finally be restrictive enough to stamp out inflation, prompting markets to bet that the central bank has reached the end of its hiking path, but President Lagarde refuses to commit to no further hikes. Both elements matter, the level, sufficiently restrictive, and the duration. But it is not to say, because we can't say that now, that we are at peak. Plus, thousands of US auto workers going on strike, hitting production at General Motors, Ford and Stellantis as the UAW union president warns the group will not buckle. Tonight, for the first time in our history, we will strike all three of the big three at once. And if we need to go all out, we will. Everything is on the table. Well, happy Friday, everybody. Good morning to Arabile. We've already introduced yourself in the, in the headlines. Good morning to Arjun. Hello. You're taking up permanent residence, of course, because of your uh, role as our ARM correspondent. How are you? Doing well, doing good, well. Good. Thanks, I have to say, I, well, we'll come to ARM in a few moments' time, but I just want to leave our viewers with a question, a question I've asked many times over the last 20 years. And it relates to the last story. It was that UAW story as well. Mm. You as good capitalists, I think most of you are capitalists out there. You don't watch this show to, to, to brandish your communist principles and uh, affiliations. I think by and large our viewers are capitalists or want to know how to make money or what to do uh, with their investment portfolio or just what's going on in the world of business as well, politics. What is a fair multiple of a CEO compared with an average worker? I know it's, it's, it's kind of almost a rhetorical question. You don't have yeah. to answer it. And there is no right one answer. What is a fair multiple for us blood-strong capitalists out there, for a worker compared with their CEO? And what was, is it very different from what it should have been in the 60s and 70s? 
I'll leave that question hanging there. Just have a little think about that one as well. If you've watched this show for long enough, you'll know I've got fairly strong opinions on this. Anyway, back to the headline story while we have Mr. Carpal on set once again. Arm surged as much as 25% in its blockbuster debut on Thursday, sending the company's market cap to almost $68 billion and vindicating SoftBank chief Masayoshi Son's reported decision not to bow to demand and price the offering above the top end of the range. Uh, Arm was the fifth most actively traded company on the Nasdaq for the session in the biggest debut in almost two years. Investor attention will now turn to whether its success can act as a catalyst for a flagging listing environment uh, with the likes of Instacart and Clavio due to price next week. SoftBank surged as much as 5% at the start of the Friday session, but has since pared back some of those gains. What is it now? 2.6% higher. Well, Arm's F1 filing had flagged potential risks at its China operations. CNBC's David Faber spoke exclusively, exclusively before the IPO, uh, to the CEOs of Arm and SoftBank ahead of that trade and asked Arm chief Rene Haas how much of a risk he sees in the firm's relationship with Arm China. Our China business reflects the growth we see in the rest of the world. We're seeing huge growth in the data center around uh, cloud computing, also with with AI, and then EVs. Huge growth in China in terms of EVs. And China wants a lot of what the rest of the world needs. Power efficiency, software ecosystem, a lot of the same software that's used uh, across the world is used in China. So what we're seeing, uh, David, in terms of our China market growing is largely around those two areas, data center and uh, and, uh, automotive. Now, in terms of the, the broader issues, I think I share the the same headaches that just about every tech CEO does these days. Um, we comply, of course, with all the, the regulations that come down relative to export control, uh, if there's something that we need to adhere to, of course. But it's really uh, it's a, a tricky market to figure out just in general because of all the things that uh, are going on geopolitically. But broadly speaking, our China business has been doing very well. Yeah, uh, I want to get back to the business itself. But Masa, you know, you're, you're SoftBank owns a significant stake in the joint venture that I'm describing in China. You've obviously done business there. You were a very large holder of Alibaba for many years. What is your sense in terms of the risk that China poses, given the percentage of revenues that it uh, comprises for your company, for ARM, is quite high? Well, U.S.-China is having a very complicated uh, situation now. The, uh, China has a significant you know, uh, impact to the economy of the rest of the world. Uh, so I think, uh, I hope uh, the situation gets better, but who knows? Uh, I just am uh, one of the citizens who is uh, wondering and, uh, you know, uh, concerned about the future of uh, China, U.S. and the rest of the world. Faber also asked the SoftBank chief Masayoshi son about the potential dangers or indeed the benefits of AI. Society should regulate uh, to protect uh, humankind. Uh, however, it, it has more merits than the demerits. So I think uh, I'm a believer, I'm optimist that AI is going to solve the issues that mankind couldn't solve in the past, like difficult disease, the uh, natural disasters, uh, the car accidents. Uh, all kinds of other issues that humankind had in the past will be uh, helped 
by the advancement of AI and technology. Renee, you're going to be in the middle of this. I mean, you know, you're going to be providing designs that are going to help NVIDIA use, create chips that are going to be powering generative AI. Do you feel similarly, or, or are you perhaps more concerned? Uh, I agree with Masa from the standpoint that uh, we are going to see some very, very profound advancements uh, around AI uh, going forward. Uh, the chat GPT moment, if you will, I think was a, a tipping point relative to what the capability of these large language models could do. So uh, on one level, as a CEO of a company that builds uh, a lot of devices based on uh, AI and an engineer at heart, phenomenal opportunity. Uh, and I think uh, for us going forward, back to the CPU being the center of everything, and you can't really run AI without a CPU, uh, it's going to be a huge growth opportunity for ARM. I, I don't know if there's anything left original to say about ARM this week, but let, let's just test that uh, hypothesis. Arjun, is there anything left that's original to say <laughs> about ARM this week? Well, I, I feel even though I've not been in a couple of days, yeah. I, I feel that we've been overwhelmed by our coverage. Is, what, what, give us something original. Well, let's talk about the actual IPO for now. We've got yeah. a sense of the valuation, uh, and we've been speaking about that as well. When it's that first day pop that we expected has happened, uh, there was only 10% of shares floated. There was a huge amount of demand, and the result there is that massive surge we saw on day one. Now, in terms of the PE multiple for ARM here, it's around 110 times based on the that, last that's fiscal year. That's a trailing, years. yes. Yes, the trailing, and, and you know, Nvidia is at about 108 times uh, at the moment, and right. so. There are going to be questions, I think, swirling about this, given the fact you've got NVIDIA playing in a market that is booming right now. NVIDIA forecasting around 170% growth for the current quarter we're in. And ARM, at the moment, not looking anywhere near that level of growth. And so it was interesting to hear the interview yesterday with David Faber and where Rene Haas sees ARM's future. And there's been a lot of talk this week, we've spoken about it, about where exactly ARM is going to play in AI. And I've been talking about the fact that it's all about when AI happens on devices, on smartphones, on laptops, on PCs, that is where ARM's strength lies. Um, it's looking at other businesses too in terms of the automotive business and data centers. But also, uh, Rene Haas was speaking about the fact that actually, if you're running AI applications in the cloud. Yes, you need the GPUs, but you also need CPUs to power some of that. Again, where ARM's strength lies. Now, that is true in some cases. Not all cases, you do need a CPU to accompany the GPU. But he pointed to a specific NVIDIA chip, which runs or, or contains some ARM architecture which as well. Which is the Grace Hopper, The is that Grace one? Hopper super chip. See, I've done yeah. my work. Yeah. I know about yeah. the Grace Hopper. Uh, and but so that's not the super chip that's over the, at NVIDIA. No. The super, super duper one is the H100, I believe. That's correct. And Sorry, I saw it get into <clears> the weeds, but I think we're trying to add a bit of value uh, to our viewers. No, here. but it's, it's a really important to, to sort of note those differences, because I think there's going to be a lot of investors looking at ARM and <laughs> spoken about this saying, well, look, is this, it, did I miss out on NVIDIA? And now is this the next uh, company that's going to have a 200% rally? Uh, next, and so it's important to differentiate those, those bits of, of tech that each you know have sure. and where their strength lies. And so uh, that I think is going to be key. So if it is indeed armed to sustain this multiple, so much is going to come down to one how it convinces investors that it can play uh, in this AI game in the near term, 
Uh, and secondly, you know, how it continues to manage to diversify away from its reliance on, on areas like smartphone. Should we uh, bring in another voice? Uh, ben Barringer, who is uh, equity research analyst at Quilter Chevy and joins us now. Well, Ben, you've heard uh, Arjun talking about various chips and various technologies and various aspirations. Well, a very, very easy open question to you. What do you think of the IPO and the pricing? Yeah, look, so um, ARM is a unique asset and it's got some fantastic levers it can pull in terms of market share gains, in terms of content, in terms of royalty rate and so forth. But, but you know, the pricing uh, is expensive. Uh, it's expensive both on a, on a revenue multiple, on an EBIT multiple. You've already talked about the earnings multiple as well. And, and so I think a lot of investors are, are sitting in the sidelines because, you know, it's a relatively sh small uh, free float. I think a lot of investors are sitting on the sidelines and waiting to see how they execute uh, on those those drivers. Right. And, and the other key point, I think, is the margin uh, accretion that's expected. You know, this business pre-SoftBank ownership was at a margin of around 40, almost 50 percent. That went down to almost zero uh, during the SoftBank ownership. And now we're, we're on a path back towards about sort of 29 percent. And and if you look at the, the guidance in, in the F1, um, that's expected to hit 40 in 2024 and, and then, you know, upwards of 60. That's a very big uh, hill to climb, and I think a lot of people are waiting for to to see the execution uh, before they they really uh, you know uh, get involved in the in the IPO. Well, I suppose then, Ben, the 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 element here to to kind of note is that well, they've had constricting demand when it comes to the number of shares put out. They kind of priced it the right way in many ways. A win overall, you'd say then for ARM, um, particularly though for SoftBank here. Yeah. No question. You know, they got what are we at now? 68 billion. Right. That was the kind of range that Massa was looking for, you know, six, six, nine, six, nine months ago. He was looking for sort of 70 billion. That range then came down to the 40, 50 billion. So, yeah, he'll be very happy. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think this is really good for tech sentiment. I think it's really good um, overall for, for further, as you say, follow on IPOs. Um, but, you know, the valuation is one of the, the sort of risk points or stretch points, I think, for a lot of investors. What's going to be interesting for me as well is, you know, what um, allocations the strategic investors got. I'm sure you've covered, you know, the, the large number of strategic investors, the great and the good of, 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 of large tech uh, and semiconductors uh, and, and what allocation that they actually get and, and their future participation, I think, is also going to be key. Uh, ben, it's Arjun here. I just uh, was interested in, in the margin story and I just wanted to get your thoughts on what you believe is going to drive that. Is it around... Uh, arms ability to increase royalties is it around new products uh, what's going to drive that margin growth yeah, so, so look, ultimately, it's going to be about them being able to um, do 10% plus revenue growth. Market growth is going to be around seven, something like that. But through a combination of market share gains, that's obviously not in smartphones where they're extremely dominant, but in places like automotive, cloud computing, there's some, there's some share gains to be had. There's also content. So taking more of uh, ARM's uh, IP blocks, right? So, so historically, you would have taken uh, a process you may have taken graphics, but increasingly you might take a security IP block. Um, you might take, uh, you know, other things to help you basically get to market quicker um, as well. Also, you know, you touched on an AI ML block that they've got as, as a relatively new product. So that's um, increases in terms of content. And then finally, yes, the royalty rate is, is, a, is a big driver. So we're um, moving through a transition from the V8 architecture to the V9 architecture. And historically, you've always seen an, an 
an upgrade in terms of the the underlying royalty rate and that can be a big driver uh, you know on a um, blended basis through the business you know royalty rates could move from two percent up to three percent over over a number of years so again that's all about execution now back to the margin um that's about that revenue growth but then it's also about obviously growing you know operating costs slower uh, than that top line and so you know we shall see how they spend on r d going forward clearly this is a you know a very ip rich business and so i think some investors are a little concerned that if, if r d grows much slower than revenue growth you know that that could be impeding future growth uh, and ben i've been trying to look this week at, uh, and sort of flesh out the differences of course between arm and, and nvidia huge differences between the two businesses um, arm strength where as i see it lies a lot in the fact that it can play in the future on edge AI, for example, with its with its architecture, uh, of course, NVIDIA with its GPUs in the data center. Arm's been trying to tell a different story that actually, no, it can also play in the data center and help with the processes of these workloads. It noted about the Grasshopper Superchip that has those Arm cores in it as well. Uh, do you believe that that's going to be a big driver? Because the on-edge or, or the, the edge AI story is sort of slightly longer term than the the large language model and big data set training yeah so so look at the moment in terms of their cloud exposure it's one of the areas where they're relatively underrepresented so they've got about a three percent share so that compares obviously with 99 percent share 100 percent share in, in smartphones and probably about an eight percent share in, in, in pcs um so the main driver of that three percent is actually um amazon web services um their graviton chip so gosh back in 2015 uh probably a little bit before that actually um amazon bought a, a company called annapurna and they've been working on their own arm uh, based server chips um so so that's the driver of, of of servers now there are going to be more arm chips that are going to get incorporated into ai specific chips a bit like you've seen with with grace hopper um but i think the biggest driver of the uh server demand uh and cloud demand for arm is going to be Amazon developing more chips and potentially Microsoft and Google doing arm designs that are data center specific as well. Um, just a quick look. I don't, I don't want to drag over re uh, recent history, but I'm going to go back a little bit. But ben, I just want to know, I mean, there's a lot of bemused British investors looking at this one and people saying, hang on a second, I thought we were going to champion the British tech sector as well. Just, I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but what level of incompetence would you say uh, the British government had letting this one go at 2016 at pretty much exactly the same time as a Brexit vote was going on? Were they perhaps distracted by something and didn't spot the value of this one? I mean, as I recall, they did make some quite uh, big uh, requirements to keep employment in Cambridge and, and boost the amount of employment in Cambridge. So that was one of their big um, sort of blocks to the deal. But yeah, look, it's always very sad. I, as an investor, you know, in UK tech, was very sad to lose a world class technology business. And and you know, there are there are only a couple of other really decent world class technology businesses on the London market. Um, and it's it's a shame to lose them. It was obviously a big market cap, and and yeah, look, I think it's partly partly the government, and also uh, the London Stock Exchange is very focused on on indexation and monetization of its own data. It needs to focus more on creating a home for for, for young tech companies, uh, and then also you know you've got a very um, if you're thinking about tech you know, founders, you know, most want to move to the, to the NASDAQ because you've got a very well-functioning venture capital um, uh, 
business in in the US. And the natural move is then to to, to the Nasdaq, where you've got you know very well informed investors uh, and a very highly liquid base. So yeah, look, I think I, I can understand why Massa has gone to uh, to the Nasdaq. But I, as a UK tech investor, we invest globally, but obviously I'm based in the UK. Um, I'm very disappointed that we, we're not getting it on the on the UK exchange. We shall see whether the, the government at arm can work on uh, a listing, uh, a dual listing uh, in the UK in the future. Yeah, as a government that uh, obviously insists that stamp duty being a great idea for London market as well to galvanise that its shareholder interest uh, or not. Uh, ben, thank you very much indeed. For, yeah, I can't, I can't help. What else was happening in 2016? I think they were chasing a few Russian uh, commodity listings, weren't they? <laughs> How did that work out? Well, thank you, Ben, by the way. Uh, nice to see you, sir. Ben Barringer from one of the greatest cities in the United Kingdom. Brighton, uh, equity research analyst at Quilter Shiver. You had something to say. This would never have happened if this happened today. This, this, the takeover from SoftBank wouldn't have happened. It was a completely different geopolitical environment. This was an incredibly, was oh, okay. incredibly important. So the Russians hadn't point. invaded Crimea and all that kind no, of stuff. There was no U.S.-China trade war at that point. No, no. But US, this, we didn't have this, a, an Obama pivot to strengthen up issues yeah. with China. If had made this bid today, uh, last year, even yeah. the year before. It, this would deal would never have happened. So we should be lambasting the politicians who were in charge seven years ago. Oh, it's the same bunch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not political. I'm just I'm saying facts. Um, so you've got another two. You've got to do street signs as well. So you've got another three hours and forty yeah. minutes talking about arm, and we might let you talk about something else next week. Well, I doubt it very much. Yeah, um, it doesn't look that way. But let's see. Let's see if arm can actually hold on to some of those gains from today, right? And uh, particularly in that U.S. session after debut that price at a premium to Nvidia. We can. Read all about it then, uh, if it all adds up as well, at cnbc.com. Of course, bearing in mind, NVIDIA's revenue just doubled and is projected to grow 170% this quarter. Our arms revenue shrank in the latest period. You now, coming up... Write an article? I've written some stuff Who's too. that? Ari Levy. I, yeah, one of our colleagues in the like US. That's like one of the site tests, isn't it? <laughs> 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 I'm doing my impression of Moly out of, uh, go, uh, down the river. Yeah, oh uh, yeah. Ari Levy. There you go. I passed that I mean, site you can't test. let Arjun do all the work, can we? Yeah. Why not? He's you mean young. You didn't, he's fit. You mean you didn't read my <laughs> articles from yesterday, Steve? No, I no. didn't. Oh, should yeah, I, that's though? what happens when you're should. away for two days. <laughs> you definitely should. If you want to learn more about Risk 5... Hang on. You know. I know you wow. got to, what's risk what we're talking about? It's the open source rival tech architecture to arm. Oh, I love just, it. I love just it. Leave it there. Oh, there, there is more there's, to there's talk the about. value add. It is more and to a talk slight lambasting yeah. for the old guy in the middle. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> wow. Nevertheless, <laughs> <laughs> we'll also be talking about the ECB's rate hike for the 10th consecutive time and to a record high, of course. What comes next? We'll unpack that next. Plus, retail sales growth in China surprises to the upside. Take a closer look at the numbers and discuss the PBOC's move to cut the triple R ratio again later this hour. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts.
All right, well, the market picture was fairly positive yesterday following Arms IPO having debuted, of course, on uh, the walls, on Wall Street. Then the Nasdaq seeing it uh, push up around eight-tenths of a percent on the back of that. Now move to $68 billion for the valuation then for Arms. So fairly interesting what happens then uh, moving forward then will be fairly interesting for that one. Uh, of course, U.S. Corp PPI also came in yesterday, climbing 0.2% in the month of August as anticipated uh, that front 0.8% as we noted even for the S&P and the Nasdaq. The Dow actually had its best day since August the 7th, climbing up nearly 1%, 331 points on that front, uh, still just below that 35,000 point mark. 34,907 is where we're at right now. At some point, actually, 409 of the names in the S&P 500 were in positive territory. Uh, so all of the major sectors in that uh, part were definitely on the up. J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, uh, as well uh, then as Goldman Sachs, all those shares actually gained 2%. Uh, in yesterday's trading picture, significant, of course, for Goldman Sachs. The, uh, the IPO market will be quite significant for them to kind of look at as well. So very interesting uh, picture to kind of look at on the whole. When we take a look at Asia then, um, we're all mostly sitting higher here with a slight negative bias then for the Shanghai Composite, uh, even if that is uh, for now only slightly bolstered then by that slew of Chinese economic data that we have now seen uh, this morning. If we come to all of it, August retail numbers, well, better than anticipated. Factory output also beating expectations. The print for fixed asset uh, investment came in slightly below expectations there, while home prices slipped 0.1% for the month of August compared to a year before. But of course, the other big news story is the one that came out late then yesterday, uh, which does then uh, see the triple R actually uh, get a cut uh, by the PBOC, then 25 basis point cut then in that reserve requirement ratio, basic resources even managing to go 4.2% up in Europe. Over onto the greater China story then and how that's looking. Well, we are marginally lower across the board on that front. We've just been noting some of that uh, data then having come out of the uh, PBOC then to be very significant. Then that cut of 25 basis points then um, also um, weakening the yen even in certain instances too. Uh, you, rather the yuan, should I say there. So quite interesting uh, to look at that one. So we're down across the board here. When you look at that onshore and offshore uh, yuan uh, region, right now this is pretty much where we are around a quarter of a percent or a third of a percent uh, weaker than is the dollar right now uh, actually in fact so perhaps some movement thus far at this rate 725 is where we're currently sitting on to the Brent crude oil price well November 2022 was the last time we saw WTI pop above $90 a barrel we're at that mark now eight tenths of a percent higher in fact even in this morning's numbers 1992 is where we're sitting then for Brent crude oil in this commodities picture. Even Brent crude oil up around 1.9% uh, yesterday to 93.62 at some stage, reaching a 10-month high. Oil prices, of course, jumping on the expectations then that we will see tighter supply continue to grow. Steve? Uh, very interesting. Tighter supply continue to grow because the world's biggest cartel has taken oil off the table, not because necessarily... Uh, there's a supply deficit uh, naturally built in. Uh, the European Central Bank hiked rates by another 25 basis points, lifting them for a tenth successive time to a record high with the base rate now at 4%. European bond yields and the uh, euro eased back on the move as the ECB signaled Thursday's hike could be its last of the cycle. The ECB said rates have reached sufficiently high levels to, quote, make a substantial contribution to getting inflation back down to target. 
However, speaking to reporters after the decision, President Christine Lagarde refused to fully commit to the market's assessment that the ECB is now finished hiking rates. We are not either saying that we are now at peak. I think the sentence that I read uh, is, is really the, the, the critical one. With today's decision, uh, we have made sufficient contributions under current assessment to returning inflation to target in a timely manner. And as I said, both elements matter, the level, sufficiently restrictive, and the duration. But it's obvious that the focus is probably going to move a bit more to the duration, but it is not to say, because we can't say that now, that we are at peak. So investors were digesting that decision then out of the ECB and the rhetoric that perhaps we are near that peak or perhaps at the end, in fact, when it comes to those interest rate hikes here in Europe. So the market went relatively high in the stock 600, uh, moving up then uh, around 1.5%, then 0.3% gained after the ECB hike, in fact. Uh, so that still gave uh, that upward lift when it comes to the decision, having uh, seen that number then head a little bit higher. The ECB raising rates by 25 basis points, the highest then on record. 4% is that tilt as we currently have it. The autos did manage to fall, however, 0.4% as initial optimism over that EU probe on China's EV subsidy. Uh, meant that you could see retaliation from China. Of course, yesterday we had the Chinese retaliate with statements of their own then and their fears on that part. So we did see the autos drop off. Plus, you've also got that U.S. strike, uh, which is currently in play in the auto sector. So it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out even today. On to the yields then. Well, these moved a little bit higher at some point then yesterday, particularly even out in the United States. There's a 40% chance of a rate hike, of course, being announced in the month of November out in the U.S., over on this side, though, that 10th consecutive interest rate hike by the ECB meant uh, some of the yields did go higher. The 10-year bond is at 2.596, uh, while the French 10-year is at 3.138%. Now, for more on the ECB's hints over a possible peak in rates, do check out cnbc.com. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.